everyone. Welcome to Sinful Sarah's Horror Menagerie. I am your host, Sarah Sin, Sin for short. Here with me, as always, is my minion of evil and my partner in crime, Nathaniel. Hi, everybody. Again, on our show, um, we don't just talk about our love of horror movies, which we do. Um, we also try to bring in the element of horror and history and try to see how the horror movie we are watching reflects history in any way. And since I'm a psychology major, we also try to bring in the element of psycho uh, well, how psychology and mental health are represented in the movie we're watching or in a generality of like um, horror movies can be therapeutic in a way. And I just want to say, I think especially nowadays, it's very important to bring in the element of mental health because it's something that is, I, I personally suffer from depression and anxiety and BDD, which is body dysmorphic disorder. And it's something that I know a lot of other people deal with. And I think it's very important to bring this up front and up center and just acknowledge that this is out there and there are people suffering from this and they don't want to feel alone. I know I don't want to feel alone out there in the world. So I feel it's very important to let people understand that people are suffering from mental illness and it is important for people to understand it. Mm-hmm. And even if they can try to understand it in a different way, even if it's just, like I said, reflecting through a horror movie that can help a person really fully understand mental health. So I just wanted to say that little tidbit very quick. I don't know if you wanted to add anything to that little tidbit. Uh, no, I, uh, uh, I, I'm, I suffer from depression and anxiety as well. Uh, pretty, pretty severely sometimes actually. So, yeah. Um, so yeah. Uh, and horror movies have helped me out uh, immensely for most of my life and helped me uh, understand uh, and media in general uh, helped me understand a lot of that. So yeah, uh, I think it's, it's definitely important to uh, to bring that stuff up. I do too, and I'm I'm glad we're doing it. I really think it's a very important aspect. Mm-hmm. More people should be aware of. So mm-hmm. we are continuing our month of the 30s. So last uh, last week we did Dracula. Yep. And now we are doing 1932, Old Dark House. Yes. Directed by James Whale. Starring Boris Karloff as Morgan. I'm going to uh, Melvin Douglas as Pendrel. I always pronounce, I couldn't figure out how to pronounce his name. That's how I think it's Char- Pendrel, yeah. Okay. Charles Lough- Lawton as Sir William Porterhouse, who was one of my favorite characters, by the way. Sure. L- Lillian Bond as Gladys. Ernest Thysiger? Thizig- I should have practiced these. As Horace Pam. Even more as Rebecca Pham. Raymond Massey as Philip Waverton, Gloria Stewart as Margaret Waverton, Elizabeth, Elizabeth Dudgeon as Sir Roderick Femme, mm-hmm. and Brember Willis as Saul Femme. So um, there was a few things I found for like that reflected history. One was definitely like dynamics between social class, mm-hmm. like socioeconomic status, you know, upper class, middle class, working class. Um, Definitely the fear of the outsider or the other, because you'll notice if you've ever seen this film, the people in the house don't trust the people who are seeking shelter, while the people who are seeking shelter in the house don't trust the people within the house. So there's a lot of fear of the other person and the outsider coming in. Mm-hmm. And then definitely a big thing, again, was escapism. So in the 1930s, um, not only I mentioned with the last movie, there was um idea of life after death and trying to see even a glimmer of hope with that even through a movie like Dracula um escapism was another one uh, so there was the great depression of 1929 the stock market crash there was a shift in economy um people were people went homeless people were scared um many people lost everything and it was an incredibly depressing time so people needed a way to escape from 
their problems and their trials and tribulations. And from this decline in morale, horror movies actually rose to popularity. So because they were five cents a, a ticket, they were a cheap distraction. And it gave people, even for an hour, hour and a half, just escapism, a chance to just escape their problems. So I think this movie definitely falls under that because it was actually, it was a really good movie and it took you, you know, in a way you're kind of watching these people being like, oh, okay, maybe my problems aren't so bad because I'm watching these people. It was mm-hmm. kind of that idea too, that the escapism helped people. Yeah. So um, that's a little tidbit there. <laughs> uh, psychology, mental health. There's the, I, I picked up some gender identity. I feel there might be a little of an incestuous undertone in there. Um, sexuality, um, paranoid personality disorder and dependent personality disorder in the character of Saul, which I also have other things about him. Sure. So I didn't pick up much just because, again, I've been busy and I was having a, a rough time this week again. So work, sure. work and school and everything is really getting to me. So, yeah, <laughs> uh, but those are the things I really picked up on. So I was I don't know if you picked up anything that I missed. No, uh, the, the, the only thing I mentioned, we talked about this a little bit in uh, 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 in uh, uh, on Twitter, uh, the the. Uh, the idea that I think that this has a lot to do with uh, also with James Whale uh, being openly gay. Um, and there's, uh, I think there's some definitely some queer coding going on in the film. Uh, but other than that, yeah, I think you're, you're spot on with what you're kind of mentioning. I mean, obviously, as you mentioned, there's more to Saul predominantly in the sense that he's a homicidal maniac. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, uh, and, and uh, there's also uh, chemical dependence, uh, alcoholism plays a, a factor in this film, um, uh, both both in subtext and in direct text. Uh, a major plot point, in fact, is Bor- uh, Boris Karloff's character is pretty much well behaved until he gets drunk and then he's uh, a monster. Um, versus uh, uh, Pemberton or uh, uh, what was that name? Pendrel. Pendrel. Yeah, I can. Uh, who is, uh, I feel like the implication of Pendrel is um, he's a uh, uh, World War I veteran. Okay. And he's been, and uh, uh, alcoholism was, alcoholism and the, and the general disaffected way in the way, in, in, in the way that he uh, perceives the world was be, would be very prevalent to somebody who went through World War I, which was, uh, uh, if you're familiar with your World War I history, uh, lots and lots of deaths and maiming and horrible things happened to American soldiers, which is actually why uh, it took America so long to get into World War II was because they didn't because uh, they didn't want to have the casualties they did in World War mm-hmm. One. They were afraid of it. Uh, so I think there's a lot going on there with the idea of of characters in this film who drink to escape reality. Um, and so I think that's another element that I think is very very heavy in this film as well. But. Yeah, I didn't think of that, but yeah, you're right. I didn't think yeah. of that. I just I remember the gin scene. He's like, I like gin. I only drink gin. I'm like, gin is good. I do yeah. like it too. Just yeah. can't drink it as much as just because it smells. Like, so I have to be careful. But yeah, gin, uh, gin, uh, <laughs> gin, gin makes me uh, uh, mean. So <laughs> to quote, that's that's, to that's quote, Jaeger. That's why I don't drink it anymore. To quote, to quote milk and cheese. Uh, gin makes a man mean. So yeah. yeah. It can. Everyone has that. I think everyone has that one alcohol that turns them mean. Mine was always Jägermeister. Yeah. And I could drink. I used to be able to drink that like a champ. Now I smell it. And I'm like, no, thanks. I'm good. That almost killed me like 10 times in my 20s. So yeah, that was that. For, the one that nearly killed me was tequila. 
I, uh, I, I can't drink tequila uh, without like immediately vomiting because I had such a really bad experience with tequila. I had a few bad ones too. I can do the margaritas, but if you give me a shot, I'm like, nope, I'll pass. No, yeah. thanks. I can't do shots at all. Actually, I think about it. I can drink yeah. uh, mules. I keep it simple now. I'm old. I can't yeah. handle it. It's way yeah. I used to. Yeah. Um, so the one thing I was going to mention before I go into, because I really want to talk about William first, because I really think he's a very interesting character and his story. Mm-hmm. I absolutely love it. So I wanted to go over quickly um, what I see as the social economic statuses between the people. Like, I feel like um, Philip and Margaret are maybe, I would say, upper middle class, but try mm-hmm. to have everyone perceive them or see them as like upper class or whatever the top one is. I'd agree with that. Um, but, yeah. But I think William really is upper class. He has money. Oh, they established that. Yeah. Yes, yeah. he, so he has enough money. money. He has enough. He has enough money to keep a to, to just keep a, a a chorus girl hanging out with him all the time. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. which I'll, I'll get into because I like I said I love his story. I think he's yeah. a really good character. So then I would put Gladys and Pendrel as working class because they don't have really a lot of money. I mean, even Pendrel says, "I don't have a penny to my name," and Gladys has William giving her money basically to survive, even though she is a chorus girl, mm-hmm. which I was guessing um, is burlesque. More than likely, or or just uh, or just stage. Um, uh, whale whale in particular uh, also came from uh, theater, um, so he may have had a predilection for uh, choristers. Although I don't believe he wrote the screenplay, but um, but yeah, I, either that uh, the, the implication is um, I, I have to again refer to the the name of the character. Um, I always felt that the implication for Gladys uh, is is vaguely. Um, he probably either burlesque or maybe even like stripping early kind of like that was uh, yeah that was pretty sex, much sex sex comedy burlesque yeah 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 because that was what so i really know a lot about this because my grandmother my mom's mom was a burlesque dancer mm-hmm. yeah and she was actually an opening dancer chorus girl for gypsy rose lee the most famous stripper nice. of like the 30s and 40s so yeah that's that's why i kept thinking i'm like i bet she's a burlesque dancer because we had that in my family which i always think is a cool story personally because i was mm-hmm. like yeah gypsy yeah. rose lee come on <laughs> but they go out of their way to make sure we know gladys is not a prostitute uh which is very true yeah they go out of their way for her to tell uh to tell Bemberton i'm like she's like i don't uh, it's a famous line that uh in my research on uh on critical explorations of this film the line of where she says you know uh you know, he doesn't expect anything and you know what anything means. Yes. Um, yeah. You know, and uh, so that, yeah. So, I mean, they, they go out of the way to make sure that she's, we know he, she's not having sex with him for money. She's right. just a companion. She just that's all, out yeah. with him. Yeah. That's all he wants. Yeah. yeah. That's all he wants. Which I, yeah. Exactly. Which I'll get into again. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was going to say about the femmes though. I feel like they're, I guess I would say old money, like they used to be upper middle class, but, or maybe even upper class, but the money is no longer there. They're still trying to make that appearance. Like, no, we still, we still have money, but that's just the socio or the statuses of class I was trying to pick out. But William, um, since we're talking about Gladys anyways, William was my favorite character Mm -hmm. of the whole movie. So when he tells that story about how he was married to this girl named Lucy mm-hmm. and his bosses had this party and he bought his first dress suit, Lucy bought this cotton frock, a dress. Well, the women and the wives at the party made fun of Lucy because she wasn't wearing, you know, 
she was wearing cotton and not, you know, probably I would say silk or satin or taffeta at the time was probably mm -hmm. the big ones that made you, cause you know, they were proper and up there and had money. Yeah. And then he says, he feels like that's what he said, well, Lucy worries about it, gets it into her head and that she's going to hold me back. So, and then he feels like that's what killed her. He's like, you know, but she dies. Mm -hmm. And he said, that's why I started making my money was I wanted to show, basically, I want to show these people, like you did this to my Lucy. Well, I'm going to smash you now and I'm going to make more money than you. And you're going to, you're going to be working for me basically. Yes. And then at the end he goes, but he's like, what does he say? He says, uh, once you started making money, it's hard to stop, especially if you're like me and there isn't much else you're good at. So just when he tells that story, I was just like, so he wasn't someone making money just to keep making money to, you know, no, I don't know. I've never had money, so I don't know what it's like to keep making money. Mm. You, he had a reason behind it, but then he even admits like, I can't stop now that I make it. I can't stop making it. So he was definitely one of my, I don't know. I just heard this story and I was just like, well, that makes sense. And he's a very outgoing character and he's very funny. He looks confused about half the time. Yes. <laughs> the whole time he just makes these faces like he has no clue what's going on. Yeah. The fact that he pays pretty much gives money to Gladys only to be a companion because he's lonely. Exactly. Says more about his character too. Is like, because the love of his life was his Lucy and she's gone. No and one's going to be his Lucy but he still doesn't want to be alone. So for me, he was, I don't know, it was just something about his character that just really made me gravitate to him. And even when Pendrel and Gladys decide they're in love and they're going to get married and they tell William, he wasn't, he said, he's like, I'm not even mad. He's like, I yeah. think you're crazy, but he's like, I'm not mad at you at all. Yeah. He like, has a, he has that brief moment of jealousy and then, and then immediately gets over it when he realizes Pemberton's actually a pretty guy, uh, is a good guy. Yeah. And is like, you know, if it makes if it makes her happy, then, then I, you know, and it was a great moment because and I agree with you that it's a, a, the character is incredibly sympathetic. And mm -hmm. um, uh, but and I remember always really loving that that speech in particular where he's like, you know, I uh, I went out of my way to crush everyone who uh, wronged wronged Lucy. And yeah. uh, and now I've I filled I tried to fill the hole that Lucy left with all this money. And with with vengeance and when vengeance didn't fill it, money filled, tried to fill it. Money doesn't fill it. Um, you know, yeah. nothing will nothing will ever fill it. Um, no. And uh, and and the idea, the, the impression that I get from this movie is that he's going to be remain close friends with uh, uh, with this new with this couple like that. He's going and I'm like, it's a very, very char it's a charming movie in general. Yeah. Um, uh, and I absolutely I like it. love it, which is why I wanted to, which is why I wanted to do, I pre predominantly wanted to do this film because I wanted to talk about James Whale, um, who is such a huge deal for horror in 1930s, but, um, and uh, a fascinating uh, individual in, in, and of his, in and of himself. But I remember when I first watched this movie, which is probably for the first time was only a few years ago, and I absolutely fell in love with it. Um, and, um, and a big part of why I fell in love with it was because, A, it's, it's very funny. It is. It is. B. It has. Uh, it has. Uh, it basically establishes what becomes a major horror staple, which is the the, you know, break the people in the car break down. They go to the house on the hill. The people in the house are weird or or dangerous, and they have to survive the night. Um, right. it, it wasn't invented here, but it was reinvented, and this mm -hmm. becomes sort of the the staple for that. 
But the third predominant reason was that I just absolutely love these people. And it's something that Sam and I talk about on At the Devil's Ball, where some where some of the best movies come from. Uh, like we just did April Fool's Day earlier this month, and we talked about how much we uh, loved. We just fell in love with the characters uh, very, very quickly. Um, and, uh, and how we could probably, even if horror never happened, we could probably just watch these people spend the night together and it would actually be interesting. Um, right. and so much of that comes from the fact that, I mean, and by the way, this cast is incredible and they all go on to have amazing careers. Um, a couple of Oscar winners in here, uh, Charles Lawton, who plays, uh, uh, our favorite character for some reason i'm blanking all the names i've had a long day at work myself so i don't Sorry. remember stuff. uh but uh for um uh william yeah, charles lawton directed probably one of the greatest films of all time in um uh night of the hunter which was uh, it was his only film he never he never directed another film oh i uh, saw that movie yeah that was directed yeah, by Phil, yeah film oh, class in uh, high school yeah yeah yeah, it, it's taught. It's it's a it's a it's a must see for uh, film students. Yes. Yes. Um, but yeah, it's uh, but that was Charles Lawton, um, and of course, um, uh, uh, Gloria Stewart is best known, probably best known now as Old Rose from Titanic. She was oh, that's the, her. Oh, I didn't her. know that. That's her. Oh wow. Uh, and uh, horror fans might recognize um, Penderel as um they won't recognize him but he is what uh, what you probably know him from is he played the old senator in the changeling uh it was one of his last roles as an okay. elderly man uh but he won a couple of oscars himself um for other roles uh, over time i think one for being being human or being there i can't remember which one but anyway uh just a, a phenomenal cast full of people that that um would go on to just sort of dominate hollywood in a lot of ways uh and you could see why if you watch yeah. uh, watch this film but yeah back to back to william i mean uh yeah charles lawton brings so much pathos to that role uh in mm-hmm. what could what would it i think in any other film be an insufferable prick yes uh, yeah uh empathetic know, yeah, or you empathize and, with him yeah and and i think it, even then when you empathize with him when when Penderel goes and and gladys go to tell him we're, we're gonna we're gonna get together you uh my modern sensibilities expected some sort of like drama to occur yeah. there, like that he's just going to be like no you know and they're going to get into a fight or they're not going to like each other or william's going to become a villain mm-hmm. um and try to like it when when the shit hits the fan william is not going to be helpful because in any other movie he would be he's like he he's set up to be like the cooper from uh night of the living dead uh, uh you know right exactly Ugh. but uh, <laughs> but he's not instead he just kind of goes well okay as long as as long as we stay friends and they're like absolutely and it's very it's very touching it's very moving and it's it's uh it's so different than i think we would see in a modern film don't they invite him to the wedding like at the end like um yeah will you marry me yes and she's like will you come william and he's like okay (laughs) and you and charles lawton plays it with that he's moved that he's invited yeah, like yeah. he's happy about it, even though he's now, half like tired. <laughs> he yeah, hasn't slept they've had a, they've had a long night. Um, yes, he's but he, but yeah, and uh, but also moved that uh, that he meant more to to Gladys than just a paycheck, right? Yeah. Um, and um, which would have to be of a, a very rational fear of his to to be like the only reason she hangs out with me is because I give her money. And then she, of course, tells Penderel when they're in private that she really does care about the guy, yeah. just not just not like that. 
he yeah. doesn't want to be his be his girlfriend but she he's obviously more than just a, uh than just a source of income yeah um right. yeah which I is like very it. which is very very moving as well yeah i mean and, it's, it, i mean it happens not all the time but yeah i mean you can find friendship in people like that mm-hmm. So, you know, but yeah, I like that. And then you even get that idea. I feel like even when you first met meet Gladys, even though she's kind of very upbeat and young and like, woohoo, you know, you still can tell like from the beginning that she cares about the man. Yes. Like that there is a, not a relationship. Well, a relationship as a, a relationship, not, yeah. Yeah. you know, a, a loving as lovers right. is, you know, you get that sense. But like I said, William was definitely one of my favorite characters. I really enjoyed him. Mm-hmm. um as for since we said something about margaret uh the reason why i keep thinking that they're maybe not you know high class or upper class is that scene where she's like oh i need to go change my clothes they're wet and rebecca takes you to the room and instead of changing into something i don't know comfortable she changes into like an evening gown yeah and like even make sure that like her hair's done she puts on her nice fine jewelry and it's like you're staying in a house for the night like no one's really around but she has to still come off as like i has to have this appearance well, not i'm saying not in a negative way i'm not saying she's a bad character or a bad person but it's no. that people have to see me as someone up here when i may not be yes. and it's that one scene that really showed me like she really you know for whatever reason and philip doesn't seem like he really cares like he seems to be like just content with whatever they are but it was well, that was, scene where he's a man and like, he's a man in 1930 you know he's he's uh he's 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 already dressed for dinner um there you go <laughs> he has to she has to dress for dinner um even though even though the femmes sort of are like uh, uh clearly don't really want to have dinner with them but uh, no. <laughs> um uh but yeah she but yes you're right that there is a there's an element of putting on airs that she wants to uh that she's she's exactly doing that she's dressing for dinner uh, which is something that you would that you would be expected to do in high society, uh, but maybe not when you're just you've just crashed into someone's house um, yeah. <laughs> for the night during a rainstorm. Right. Um, but yeah, she she still clings to that sort of mentality. Um, yeah, and I mean they're they're pretty underdeveloped characters uh, versus the other the other characters um, to the point where I, I feel like she's sort of set up to be she's more of a hitchcocky and blonde than final girl um uh in the sense that and of course also uh that scene was actually would have been considered a little risque in 1932 because Mm -hmm. we see her basically in a slip and uh uh that would have titillated the audience a lot so i think that's predominantly what margaret's there for is to sort of titillate the audience in a way um, and she's not she's not given a lot to do except be the the damsel in distress when uh, the butler goes mad. Um, right. Which, uh, much as we talked about last week, is is again a very uncomfortable subject. Uh, what he's probably going to do <laughs> when he catches her. Um, yeah, but- there. Yeah, where I wrote it down, but there's a scene. So we'll just pop on to Morgan then. So Morgan. Sure. Here he is. Sorry, I had to change my notes. So everybody like kind of dismisses him. Like the very beginning, like people dismiss him. I mean, they call him a dumb. He, they are like, oh, excuse us, Morgan's dumb. Like he's a savage. And I'm like, he's clearly suffering from either, yeah, alcoholism, which can impair your speech, maybe um, another form of mental illness in general. Like 
that causes him where he can't verbalize um, or even like have some kind of special needs and no one's acknowledging it. They're just like, ah, he's, he's stupid. So don't, don't mind him. So I think that, that was yeah. the first thing I caught on to was like, there's no, I don't know. I just, it, there's more to him yeah. than what is being presented. And I feel like maybe one reason is that's why he drinks is because no, he has no form of communication and no one's actually trying to communicate or figure out a way to bridge that gap. Yeah. Well, there's, but, a, there's um, a, yeah, there's a very important plot element that comes from that. Um, uh, first of all, I think the dumb, the dumb thing, I think it's meant to, to indicate that he's mute. Um, mm -hmm. but they also, uh, but I think it's supposed to, be also to be a double entendre that like, he's, he's dumb as in deaf end, but he's not deaf. Uh, but he's, he's mute, which the derogatory term back then would be dumb. Um, yes, that's the thing. That's the thing used to call deaf people was deaf and dumb. Deaf and dumb. And yeah. Dumb, yeah. I, I, st yeah, I studied deaf, that sign language. So deaf nice. culture, yeah. 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 For a long time. Uh, yeah. And, uh, but yes, I think it's supposed to be a double entendre. They're also saying that he's dumb. But the, the plot element is that Saul, who is the, the dangerous psychopath living in the attic, uh, who's yeah. locked up, who uh, Morgan is, who's Morgan's predominant position is to keep him locked up. Um, but instead, Saul's the only one who treats him like a human being. So every time Morgan gets drunk, he tries to let Saul out. Yeah. He forgets what he forgets that his duty is that is his one job in that when he gets drunk, he gets he gets emotional. Yeah. both in the positive in the sense that he wants to let Saul out that because Saul's the only one who treats him well uh, but also in the sense that he's going to give in to his baser urges and attack people and and you know that type of thing but I mean it's but it's an important element to note that the femmes don't treat uh, Morgan very well except for Saul who's mm -hmm. the dangerous psychopath living in the attic right um, and you so you think if you were trying to keep your psychopathic brother into the attic you treat the guy <laughs> the guard a little bit better but the femmes obviously uh with their their bizarre their bizarre eccentricities uh, yes. aren't really thinking about social niceties in any sort no. of um, um but the, i love i absolutely love the femmes i think they're fantastic characters there there's definitely some fun dynamics which i'll i'll get into in a minute yeah. um because i want to talk about morgan and Saul, but first i yeah. just wanted to point out that because what I was saying about that bridge, bridging that communication gap, there's that scene where they go. So basically, Margaret's alone and she's like doing finger puppets or something like yes. on the wall, like doing shadow puppet for no way. And then Morgan comes in, he like grabs her and like shakes her and he's mumbling. And the whole time I'm watching, I kept thinking, I'm like, is he actually trying to hurt her or is he trying to communicate with her the only way he knows how? Because he can't communicate. Because there's not the way he does it is like almost like when you, you see in movies when they shake a person and go, please listen to what I'm saying. Like, I'm trying to tell you something. Yeah. That's what I saw. I mean, maybe what they were trying to say was he was assaulting her, but I actually saw a person who could not communicate somehow had something to say to her and he was trying to. And of course she doesn't know. Well, so he had, yes. Uh, I, I think you're, you're, I think you're right a little, I, I would agree with, with a little bit. I think it's a little bit of both. Um, I yeah. think that uh, because also during the dinner scene, like he's like paying special attention to her and like, ex and so I think he is trying to express some sort of affection towards her in the sense that he's sort of trying to like flirt maybe. Um, and then once he gets drunk, his communication breaks down even further. Um, so, I mean, I think that there's, I think there's supposed to be, but I mean, I, I also at the same time, um, 
it's hard to read uh, uh, Karloff post Frankenstein because this would have been like right after Frankenstein. Um, it's hard to read him as playing uh, as playing anything but something dangerous in this particular mm-hmm. film. Um, and in fact, uh, uncredited, the guy who did his makeup for this film was Jack Pierce, who had done the Frankenstein makeup as well. Oh, um, okay. And of course, James Whale, they'd worked together on Frankenstein as well. Uh, and then this movie actually ended their their professional relationship. Karloff and James Whale um, got into a lot of fights to the point where they never spoke again after oh. this uh, after this film. Um, uh, I guess ironic in the sense that uh, Karloff spends the movie not speaking. But it's also the this this he's there. I think that for Morgan, they're they're riffing on Frankenstein a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a little bit of a of a of a wink, I think, at Frankenstein that he's you know a mute, misunderstood monster, you know, yeah. but no less dangerous because yes. he's misunderstood. Right. Um, but oh, I agree. but if someone, it, it, but to to the again to the point of the fact that like you know. The one person who was kind to him, he repays that kindness um, that maybe that a lot of the of the direct horror of the story could have been avoided if anybody just treated Morgan like a person. I think Pendrel did. I think he was the only one who actually was. Well, I think uh, now that I'm thinking about it, because uh, you're because of what you're you're talking about, I'm beginning to wonder if Morgan fought in World War One as well. And if they're trying to talk a little bit about that. The other side, Pen- Penderel comes up, come, came out of World War One, traumatized but intact. Yeah, um, which is kind of was the best you could hope for if you fought in the trenches of World War One. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they never explicitly say this, so I'm I'm projecting a little bit here. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I think that we're I think we're we're getting the idea that to me Penderel is is uh, and maybe and now that I'm thinking about it, maybe Morgan himself is talking a little bit about post-war America and what. Mm-hmm what happened to a lot of men coming back from... well they had post-traumatic stress syndrome uh, yes. uh, post-traumatic stress syndrome which they didn't even um diagnose till way later they used yes. to call it shell shock mm-hmm. and even before that i would i don't remember when they started saying shell shock but they didn't even um consider a mental illness yes they didn't even acknowledge that it was something happening no until they were way 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 later i think it was i want to say after vietnam is when they started going oh wait a minute there's something going on when these people are coming back and they're actually like they've been through a trauma and this has been traumatic and it's a stressor now so i think that i i should look back because i should know because we have to learn a lot about post-traumatic stress syndrome in psychology Mm -hmm. so because it's not just war people uh war veterans have it but they're the predominant reason why people started to recognize it was because of people coming back from war, but back maybe even acknowledged that someone had suffered anything from the war yeah. because how could that happen to them? Right. You know, like they didn't think that far, like, Oh, something could happen. It's like, okay, you're home. You're fine now. Like what's the problem? So yeah, I, yeah, I, think, well, I you... think now that you said that, I'm like, I'm thinking, yeah, you're right. Morgan could be uh, suffering from a very, very, you know, severe case of post-traumatic syndrome where he doesn't even, he's selective mute at this point. Well, maybe not, not even, even maybe not even PTSD, but just an injury. Um, yeah. Because, like I said, Penderel comes back. Came, comes back. Uh, I feel like there is an element being projected of PTSD that he's managing through uh, ironic attachment and mm-hmm. um, yeah. you know, and uh, and uh, when he meets Gladys, he sees you know maybe there's another answer. Um, yes. Happy ending. 
Um, but I think that that now that I think about it, Morgan sort of could, if it's not intentional, um, if that's not the character's background, because we have no, they kind of just imply he's been in the family forever. Uh, right. And, but uh, but I want I but I'm wondering if there maybe there is something to the idea of talking about the men who came back from World War One, the opposite of Penderel, um, mm-hmm. who came back with um, horrifying injuries, um, traumatic brain injury. That's another one. That's yeah. but Morgan has scars. You know, he's got facial yes. disfiguration, uh, not mm-hmm. unlike maybe somebody who was in a trench when shrapnel hit, you know, right. um, we don't know where he got the scars. Um, I mean, it's and it doesn't make sense to you, but in, you could make you could make this leap like that I'm making now that maybe mm-hmm. he, maybe he was in the war or Saul cut him open with a knife at one point. Um, True. But, uh, because obviously, once you once apparently once Saul has a weapon, he's he's uncontrollable. Um, and mm-hmm. but uh, and it's certainly implied it's not the first time Saul's ever gotten out. Um, right. But uh, so I mean, we don't really know why Morgan is the way Morgan is. Um, mm-hmm. But there could be a statement being made about uh, about uh, physical and mental trauma rep- turning you into a monster, and right. uh, both, uh, or at least one that is perceived to be a monster. Um, when in actuality, they just need help. Yeah, and he, no if, one's helping. Maybe, maybe if he just had a doctor, you know, maybe everything right. would be okay for Morgan. Um, or someone who listen, oh, and not listen, but like non-verbally tried to listen, you know, like right. tried to figure out some kind of non-verbal cues that he was giving or a way he was communicating. And so actually sat down with the man and maybe tried to figure something out instead of dismissing him, because that's what it is. He's, he's being dismissed the entire show, the whole movie. Yes. And he's obviously not happy about it, which, like you said, which is why he drinks. Yeah. And then he gets mad and angry because that happens to a lot of people when drink not everyone but it, it can happen to a lot of us i've i've been an angry drunk many times mm-hmm. and you know it happens to all of us and then yeah he has saul which i put down so with saul so i had i talked to you this on twitter um was that my um what i was seeing another thing i was seeing was one saul i think has i didn't put him down as antisocial personality disorder because he does seem to have emotions mm-hmm. so he doesn't lack empathy or lack emotions. He does, obviously, you can tell he has them. I put him down as paranoid personality disorder because they're very distrustful and suspicious and expect others to take advantage or turn on them because he keeps going back and forth. And then I also said dependent personality disorder because people don't just suffer from one disorder. They can be comorbid together. Like mm-hmm. they, can be, they can have more than one. Yeah. Um, this is excessive need to take care of fear uh, or be taken care of fears of separation uncomfortable being alone because they fear being unable to take care of themselves. And these are all from my actual abnormal psychology textbook that I have. And the reason why I was saying this is because he gets, he, he says a few lines, which I forgot to write down where he definitely seems very paranoid, but then he keeps going to Pendrel, like, don't leave me. You're trying to leave me. Like, why, you know, sit down. Like he gets very like, Mm -hmm. don't, don't leave me. Don't get up. So that's why I put him down as those ones. But then I was thinking more and I said, yeah, he probably does suffer from these. But then I was thinking, what if him and Morgan were actually lovers? Maybe. Which is why they lock him up in upstairs. Not only is he, in their eyes, crazy, but back in the 30s, that wasn't, accept, quote, acceptable to be in love with another man or another woman when you were the same gender. So I was looking as maybe they were actually lovers, which mm-hmm. is why they locked him away. So when Morgan got drunk, he, un- he, was letting the man 
he loves out yeah. to be with him. Mm-hmm. Even though he knows he's can be dangerous, it's still, in my eyes, I saw he still wanted to be with the man he loves. And the reason why I picked this up was there's that scene where Pendrel and Saul fall. And I don't know if they're supposed to say Saul died because they don't really establish it, but I feel like they're trying to say like he died yeah, when they so. fall up the balcony thing. And, you know, he goes up to Margaret and he's doing his thing and Margaret says something and then she goes, Saul is hurt, Saul. And mm-hmm. he stops immediately, takes his hands off of her, runs over, gets incredibly emotional, starts crying and picks him up, cradling him the way you see Pendrel carrying Gladys earlier mm-hmm. with that, that little, I forgot what it's called, that little scoop up. Yeah. And he's cradling him and carrying him up the stairs, crying and obviously incredibly upset about this. Yes. So for me, I saw I saw two lovers that were being kept apart because at that time you couldn't have that. And especially if they were a high class family at one point, they especially couldn't have that in their house because that was not that was looked down upon. So they couldn't let that get out. So they had to lock Saul in their eyes. They had to lock Saul away and Morgan became their butler. But that's just that was my interpretation. I could see that. I don't know Mm -hmm. because, you know, I don't know the whole background of the movie. But that was the kind of the what I that was the feeling I was getting was that they were trying to say, like, these two people were lovers. This wasn't acceptable back in the day. But guess what? It was it was there. It's been around yeah, for a very long time. And it's yeah. not wrong. And it shouldn't be looked down upon. You well, James, should be able James, to love who you want. Yeah. James, huh? James Whale uh, in particular was gay and right. uh, uh, and openly so at that even at that time, which is uh, unheard of. Um but he didn't go out of his way to advertise it, but he never, uh, he never hit it. Hit he it. was hit always, it. yeah, he yeah. was like, I'm gay. Um, and uh, so, I mean, a lot of his films get recontextualized in that respect. And I think that the, the femme, the entire femme family, I mean, they're, they're named the femmes. Um, you know, I think that uh, uh, there is something to the idea of these isolated, closeted weirdos. Mm-hmm. Um, from 1930s perspective, uh, I mean the the effeminate nature of um, uh, uh, Horace and uh, the aggressive nature of Rebecca both to me uh, uh, represent certain homosexual stereotypes. Um, but yeah, I, and I always thought there was something. I mean, if you wanted to get intellectual and really talk about metaphorical, I mean, the fact that Saul wants to set fire to things. Uh, you know, the use the term flaming, you know, um, that he wants to burn it all down. Um, but it never actually occurred to me that that uh, Saul and and Morgan might have more than just a friendship. Uh, but you might be right, and I think you and uh, yeah, I'd always just interpreted it as it was just his only friend, Mm -hmm. but that might that there you might we might just be talking about the same thing, there may not be any difference to Morgan, right um uh that maybe that 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 if if you if you live your life with only one single one single person being kind to you um the the line between friend and lover is kind of meaningless mm-hmm. um if 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 Saul's the only one who ever showed him any love then morgan probably wouldn't even put any sort of sec- any sort of uh gender uh dynamic on top of it it would mm-hmm. just be I love this person, and it would mm-hmm. wouldn't matter. I just, I just, I just, it was just when he picks them up and like, yeah, it was yeah. just the whole like, 
outcome was hurt. It was like, it was just the way he turned, like stopped, turned around yeah. and like almost leaped at him to get to him. And then that you could tell he was heartbroken. Yes. And then the way he picked him up, it was like, that's the way you pick up. Your, to me, that's how you pick up your lover. Right. It, that is like that when you're carrying them when they're sick or if they die or if in general, that's a lot of ways how a lovers, you pick up your lovers that mm. way. Sure. And that's where it came. That's why it came to me that way was maybe they were more. That's why they locked him up. Yeah. I actually got now these with the femmes. I actually got more of an incestuous undertone of Horace and Rebecca, mm. which goes along with the high society. Like, you know, which is why like Horace is very submissive to Rebecca. She's very they're very mean to each other. Like they, yes, they are. obviously they're very mean to each other. But whenever Rebecca lays down the line, Horace cowers down to her and he's very submissive. Yes. And kind of like, okay, now I'm going to stop. So I, I felt that there maybe there was something more going on between them, which is why they're in that house by themselves away maybe. or not by themselves, but away from society, because that is, that's look, well, that's looked down upon it even nowadays. Like yes. you're not supposed to be in a relationship with your sibling. Right. So, and especially in the 1930s, if you're a high class society, they're especially not going to want to take that or have that be known. So they're have pushed themselves, you know, outside of society and keeping themselves out there. I don't know why that came to me when I was watching them, but it was just their dynamics together. Mm-hmm. It was like this, like, I hate you so much, but then it was like, but I love you at the same time. It was yeah. just, but that was just what I thought I could be completely wrong and completely out there. And maybe I read more because, I don't know, like I'm training my brain to think a different way now because I'm in a psych major, but that's just kind of what I caught onto was maybe there's a little more. I can see, I can see where you're, where you're coming from with it. I don't know if I agree. Um, Which is okay. You don't have to agree with me all the time. Right. Um, (laughs) But yeah, Uh, no, I actually, I I do if uh, she's going to beat me later. Um, (laughs) Guys. Um, But, um, but yeah, like we were, we're very Horace and uh, Rebecca relationship she 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 yells no beds at me after this and stuff it's I'm very mean people it's the red hair i can blame very, it on that <laughs> yeah, she's very mean um but no uh but uh i i think that it's 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 an antagonistic relationship but like i said it it feels like to me they're meant to be outsiders because they're coded as queer and um which i think is where and i think that you're not wrong that there's a, a strange dynamic between them mm-hmm. But it, it, uh, it to me it feels more like, you know, it's like a gay man and his and his lesbian sister, and they're the only ones that know the mm-hmm. other one's behavior. Um, but at the same time, I mean, like uh, my favorite, so some of my absolute favorite exchanges are Horace and Rebecca. But like when Horace, <laughs> when they get into the house and Horace has, he's like, my sister is just arranging these flowers, and he throws them into the fire. <laughs> Uh, I burst out laughing every time. It's it's uh, it's so funny, and of course, uh, and still after after watching this movie with my girlfriend Lori, every once in a while, I'm like, no beds, they can't have any beds, no beds. But and as my sister has implied, there are no beds. Um, but yes, they. Uh, but I mean, I or always... the lamp or the lamp scene when he's like, "Do you have a lamp?" And he's like, "No, no, we haven't got a lamp." What did they say? Rebecca, he's like, nothing, nothing important. And she's like, oh, nothing important. Well, I heard this time. Yeah. <laughs> They're asking for the lamp. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. He's like, oh, crap. Yeah. But, uh, and I think he's, I, I think that Horace in particular is, it, uh, reads to me as, as something of a parody of 
homosexual stereotypes. He's frightened. He's weak-willed. He's afraid. Uh, he's afraid of the dark. Uh, you know, uh, although he's not really afraid of the dark, he's afraid of Saul, uh, which is another great scene. I mean, he gets uh, William, to, uh, not William, um, Philip. Uh, Philip to go upstairs with him. And he's like, you know, oh, I can't carry it by myself as soon as it, <laughs> uh, and he's like, oh, I'm afraid to go up there. And uh, and as soon as as soon as he says, like, OK, I guess I'll go up there. Horace is like, OK, I feel better and runs off. Um, <laughs> yeah, like he could easily carry it, you know, um, you know, all the excuses that he had made um which it's just a it's a it's a great character and uh but i mean i feel like that there's something to the idea of these isolated loners who have been closeted um for who they are they've they've kept themselves apart which they... you know it's, it's one of those things where it's not um because of the time it wasn't considered okay yes so people felt the need to do that which is not okay like, like i right. said i'm always trying to promote that you know, you be you. And I always believe in loving whoever you want Um, as having a five-year-old daughter. Like I'm always telling her like, you know, you're free to love whoever you want. I'm like, she has her uncle Troy and uncle Kevin, one of her old um, preschool teachers was gay. And I mean, absolutely loved him. She asked about his girlfriend. I said, Oh no, he doesn't have a girlfriend, honey. He has a boyfriend. Oh, can I meet him? Of course, someday you can meet him. I would love for you to meet him. Like, And her, you know, teacher was excited that she wanted to meet him. So like, I'm trying to teach. So it's just kind of sad sometimes watching these movies from back in the day, how unaccepting they were, because um, if you look back in Native American history, and this is before the 1930s, this is way back. Mm. um, We were very accepting of homosexuals. In fact, they called them two-spirited. Right. And they were held in high regard. Like they were very much like never shunned. They never they were accepted for who they are and that's what they considered them as two spirited people. Mm-hmm. And they walked the line between um, masculine and feminine yes. and they, they were never shunned. They were never anything. They were always just accepted for who they are. So I'm always like, we'd been doing that for years. So why couldn't everyone else do that? You right. know, like why couldn't everyone else be that accepting when we'd have been doing it for hundreds of years? Yeah. Well, you know, what, like, that was what whale was what to what whale was about, um, you yeah. know, and he, um, uh, like I said, uh, uh, incredibly, uh, incredibly interesting story of James Whale. You know, he uh, he was a filmmaker. He was openly gay at a time when you weren't allowed to be openly gay. There's still right. some speculation that it's ultimately what led to the end of his career. The other was uh, political pressure from one of his film. He made a film that was highly critical of Germany. Uh, and um, uh, allegedly a, uh, a studio exec or some sort of consultant who was a Nazi put political mm-hmm. pressure on Universal Pictures to uh, severely edit Whale's uh, film. And so Whale actually like, basically quit Universal. He made, he made his contractual film and then he left. Um, but Whale also um, was a little bit, we, we, would, we would probably call him a little bit problematic today in the sense that he, he had a lover who was age appropriate. He then was traveling in France. He met uh, a bartender who was a third of his age and hired him as his uh, uh, chauffeur. And they had a relationship and his partner of, uh, left him. And they had a relationship with him with this, uh, you know, 22 year old man. He was 61. Um, and uh, he then also like built a swimming pool and would uh, he never swam in the swimming pool. You would have 
men only parties to swim and he would just watch the men swim uh stuff that we would probably think would be a little bit weird today um but yeah and then uh, unfortunately he did uh, he ended up committing suicide um hmm. due to severe depression and uh he was treated in a in a sanitarium for his depression uh with uh, electroshock therapy yeah and uh yeah exactly and he uh afterwards he he lived uh only a few more years basically in uh constant pain and drug and under uh, a lot of medication to the point that he left a suicide note that actually they he was found drowned in his pool um that was in 1956 it wasn't until the 80s right before his death his his former lover who had been a film producer uh shared that he had found a suicide note and he didn't want people to know whale had committed suicide at the time um but shortly before he died he confessed that he had kept the suicide note which was whale saying um i just need peace i'm in i'm in pain all the time and uh don't grieve for me i'm i'm you know and it's a very sad story um but whale was That's a- very common actually um with people who are suicidal uh what people don't understand um Again, this is, I know this is a hard subject for some people, yes. but as someone who has tried okay. a couple times in my life, um, you just want the pain to go away. Right. It's not actually about, it's not about dying. It's about whatever you're feeling and at the time and what you're going through, you want it to stop and you yeah. feel like this is the only way it can stop. So again, out there to anyone listening, I've been there more about probably three times in my life okay. um one was recently which was last year oh. um that i had talked about with people i got to the point where i told my daughter i loved her and said that whatever happens it's not your fault i love you i felt that i was not capable of taking care of her because i didn't have a job quarantine had happened and i felt very low and i said she deserves better than me and i sat on my bed with a bottle of clodipin my not my clodipin um my um yeah my muscle relaxes my flexorol sorry and had it to my mouth mm-hmm. and was very close to doing it and then finally said no and I stopped myself but I've been there I know what it feels like so if anyone out there ever gets to that point please again we are here on sinful Sarah's Horror Menagerie we're here for you mm-hmm. no matter what you're going through um I always want people to know to reach out to me and to Nathaniel or to us in general, please. Yeah. Because it, you know, suicide is a touchy subject, but it is there. People have tried it and people have gone through with it. Mm-hmm. So this man, you know, I didn't know that he had James Whale had done that. Yeah. And I just like to put it out there again that it's it's out there. It's something people need to talk about. We shouldn't be shunning these people who have gone through with it. No. I think people need to be more understanding of what the person's going through. I agree. So I just sorry. I just wanted to say that because it's I I've been there and it's yeah. not, it's not fun. It's, no. it's very hard, but please reach out to us people. Yes. Please, yeah. please, please. Like mm-hmm. I'd rather you reach out to me and lay everything out on the line than going through with it. Mm-hmm. So I agree. Please. I agree we can help out in any way, please. I really am. I'm serious. Definitely. So again, sorry, that's my little speech. I just no. like to put that out there for people. Oh, it's okay. It's, yeah. it's a hard subject, but, and, and I have no problem talking about it because I, I hope other people understand that. I've been there. I can relate to you. I know exactly what you're feeling because I have been there myself. Mm-hmm. So I can do that hopefully for people. Yeah. I hope. Yeah. I'm sorry. 
It's no, uh, no. <laughs> um, uh, how you doing? We're gonna have fun. Um, uh, but yeah. Um, uh, where, where do we? Where do you go from there? Jesus. Um, we're uh, talking. Yeah, you know, we're just. It, that's a very sad story to me to know yeah. that he went through that, and he. That's how he. Yes, he it, was died a, and- it was a yes. Uh, well, and also, uh, it's a great film. Actually, there's a great film called Gods and Monsters, uh, which is about James Whale uh, at the end of his life. And uh, mm-hmm. I've mentioned it on social media recently when uh, there was a big Brendan Fraser blow up, as seems to happen every other month now on Twitter, when people are like Brendan Fraser. Um, but Brendan Fraser, and I, I, it's always the one that I like to point out. I'm like, it's it's his it's his best uh, uh, dramatic performance, in my opinion. He's great in it. But Ian McKellen plays James Whale. And, oh, okay. And it talks a lot about um, contextualizing Bride of Frankenstein in particular, as mm-hmm. uh, as a representation of how Whale felt as a gay man in in the 1930s. Um, but and it's a great film, and I, I highly recommend everybody check it out. So it's, it's a it's a hell of a film. Um, but yeah, Whale uh, Whale uh, Whale definitely uh, uh, knew what he was doing with uh, behind the camera. Mm-hmm. And um, so I feel like there's a lot uh, uh, in the fems in particular about maybe the way he uh, felt isolated. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and not only in just in the sense of, of his homosexuality, but also maybe in his depression and his, his own uh, uh, struggles. Um, that, uh, but the, what's interesting about the film is that it's actually, it's, it's, as, we, as we said, it's very fun it's uh it's it's not uh it's got a lot of atmosphere but it's not moody Um, no no uh it's uh it it, it's considered to to be a satire in many uh in many circles Mm -hmm. as a horror as a horror satire um where it does defy a lot of horror convention at the time where he still uses a lot of the same atmospheric uh elements but manages to keep things light and funny Rather than, uh, I mean, even when Saul is is gone mad and is is looking to like start killing people, the the performance is so manic, mm-hmm. um, and 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 so uh, uh, campy that uh, it still remains uh, funny, even though like he's literally trying to kill the hero, he's setting the house on fire. Yeah, yeah, he's trying to kill everybody. Yeah, yeah, um, and he's you know he's got a knife in his hand and he's in the uh, uh, and. <laughs> Penderel even attempts the "Hey, look over there!" and so right. Saul so yeah. throws the knife at him um, in response. <laughs> um, you know, it's and uh, you know, big climactic fight between hero and villain. Um, still played uh, for laughs more than anything mm-hmm. else. Um, but there's a there is I think there is a sort of a deep seated psychosis in the movie, which is talking about people being nuts. Um, you know, like everybody in this movie, uh, you know, our, mo- our, our normal couple is the, are the least interesting characters in the film. They don't really do an awful lot. The Wavertons? Yes. Yeah. They're, they're you know, they, they've got Penderel uh, tagging along and he's, he's infinitely more interesting than them. Yeah, he's another uh, character I like. Yeah. yeah him and, and William. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he's 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 uh, he's my favorite in the movie. I I, I absolutely love Pendrel. Um, <laughs> and um, uh, because Pendrel, uh, oftentimes when people talk about you know horror film fans will talk about themselves in self-insertion, 
into mm-hmm. these stories and how uh, and that's uh, for me Penderel was uh, was me and my like when I saw this movie in particular when I was like you know in my early thir- like maybe 30 32 uh, and I was like oh that's that's me I'm the guy I'm the I'm the guy in the back seat with the flask who, who doesn't want to take anything seriously and when and when she hits a fan I'm, I, he's kind of useful but he's not <laughs> really like they're all just sort of scrambling to deal with the situation. Um, he tries at least, you know, he, he does fight Saul. He does fight so. Saul. He does successfully fight Saul, even though he clearly does not want to. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, but, um, and very, and for very romantic reasons, you know, and I, I love the idea that he's like, you know, I'll, uh, I, I'm going to wait till morning when the night is done. I'm going to tell, I'm going to, I'm going to ask Gladys a question you know and then what is it what is it what could it be what could it be and then he he nearly dies and they wake him up and uh he asks her to marry him and uh he he wakes up uh from his injury and and immediately says is it morning you know uh it's very very sweet and um and so i mean i think we you know i I, you kind of hope to be somebody like penderel um but for me so he see he resonates a lot with me but so does william there's uh you know the 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 sort of kindness uh of william uh is is something that i would i would like to kind of aspire to be but mm-hmm. uh probably am not i'm not not that magnanimous but the smashing uh, of others i i used to be that way i was like i'm just gonna yeah no. you know i'm gonna make you all see that was me when i was in my probably in my 20s i was more like that but i was also kind of a pendrel too because i was always yeah like I was the one sneaking like alcohol into like the movie theater. Yeah. Yeah. Amongst other things in the movie theater. Cause I was a very naughty girl in my twenties Sure. <laughs> and I had a lot of fun, <laughs> but that was more. Yeah. I was the one like drinking out of a flask. I liked him too. I didn't, I didn't relate to any of the women in the movie. I related more to the men. Mm-hmm. I, I was more like my character. Now I'm, I don't know who I'd relate to now. Yeah. The mom? There's no mom. There is no mom, yeah. Uh, but no, I mean, like, uh, I think Gladys is a pretty relatable character. I think that there's... I did like her. She was very, like, there was something and sweet. And there was something... But there was also something vaguely melancholic about her. You know, mm-hmm. like, I, uh, uh, I, I'm i unfulfilled. I haven't figured yeah. out what I want to do with my life. Um, yeah. Which is a, a very uh, relatable thing, I think for you know she's i think she's clearly the youngest character in the film yes and um and you know the idea that she's like i you know i tried my hand at making money because i was beautiful uh that didn't really work out because i don't fit in with other other women Mm -hmm. you know uh and so i ended up in this you know this friendship this odd friendship with this guy um uh, which is great but that's not going to sustain me for the rest of my life right um and then just falling falling for penderel and vice versa which is um you know very romantic um but uh but yeah it's uh it's a it's a such a it's such a sweet movie for all of its insanity yeah um, like I, said, I just love william i just think yeah. he looks confused the whole movie yeah yeah there, <laughs> i don't know why but there's that scene where he's they're at the dinner table and he's trying to talk he says something and horace like just stops him and his face is like yeah what did i just do and he's like so confused by everything like ah yeah but also like i said his story um i really liked like i said him probably him and pendrel are my favorite characters 
Um, I just, I mean, yeah, I love the movie. I didn't even know about the movie until you mentioned it. So I was like, yeah, I'll check it out and see what it it's, is. It's a highly, it it's, a it's underseen. Uh, actually, interestingly enough, this was another film that was uh, for a long time was a lost film. Um, uh, it was actually a, a kind of, it, it, you know, it was actually it was remade in the in the late in the sixties, early sixties by William Castle, um, and uh, at the time, um, I guess the the actual the anti remake people, this would be like your worst nightmare. That apparently the film was sort of destroyed. Um, James Whale's film was sort of gotten rid of because there was the remake. Um, right. And uh, but uh, producer, uh, uh, I think sometime in the 1980s, found a print of it and it came, it came back out. Um, and uh, with, and thank God, because it's such a great film. I've never seen Castle's remake. I'm sure it's probably pretty good because William Castle was pretty great. But mm-hmm. um, it's not as well thought of as this version. Um, uh, if you, I looked it up online, you know, to see what people said about it. It's pretty I guess it's pretty it's decent but pretty much forgettable everybody prefers this version um probably because as great as william castle was he's no james whale um but um but yeah so it was a lost film for quite some time um and now i think it's public domain it's it's still on shutter yes um it's been there for some time um and uh so i mean it but it is a film that a lot of people uh haven't gotten to um Mm -hmm. And uh, from, I think, much more understandably than, say, Dracula, which we talked about last week, which was like how there's still a lot of people who haven't seen Dracula uh, because it's dated or what have you. Uh, but I think The Old Dark House is still a movie that a lot of people haven't even heard of. I actually hadn't until you mentioned yeah. it, so I was excited to watch it. Yeah. So, I mean, so. yeah. So, I mean, I highly recommend it if you, if you want to, uh, if, you're, if you're studying your, your horror history, which is sort of the point of this exercise. Um, is to uh, is definitely check out the old dark house check out all of wales horror pictures um obviously frankenstein bride of frankenstein and then the invisible man where his sense of humor is also on uh on uh wales's sense of humor is on on display there too as well as bride of frankenstein which has a lot of funny stuff in it um but yeah it's it's uh, it's it's a lot of fun it's uh, it's very funny um and uh, it has that wonderful atmosphere uh of the the old dark house you know it's yeah. it's a it's a great film so yeah that's I what it is an old yep. dark house yep uh, and so i mean I, yeah, I absolutely love this film so i highly recommend it i liked it like i said i was interested i just wish some of these movies were like maybe a little bit longer they're only like an, like a little over an hour they're like yeah. an hour and like 10 minutes and i'm just like this is really short it's like an episode of supernatural Pretty much. Yeah, this was back. Uh, yeah, I mean, this was before. Uh, this was before television was uh, regularly around. Um, but at the same time, I sometimes I find myself longing for the uh, the the length of the 1930s films because now every damn movie's four hours long. Yeah, I haven't watched the Snyder Cut. No, I, I don't recommend it. Um, I, I speaking of speaking of online bullying and suicide. I mean, I got the friggin' Snyder cult came at me last week uh and uh like 30 40 guys telling me i just should i deserve to kill myself because i dared make a joke about Zack snyder so um so you want to talk about another serious mental health issue i mean there's you know um but yeah so i mean but yeah i don't recommend it um and in fact i just i just don't have four hours to sit and watch it i I just don't want to watch it in breaks i just would rather sit and watch it that's what i'll get to it one of these days just not anytime soon 
But yeah, but I, I still feel I feel like movies are progressively just getting longer to the point where I, I, I do too. A I, lot of them are a little excessive. And I'm I don't like, have that attention span to be quite honest. Right. So I'm looking at the old dark house and being like, this this movie's like 70 minutes. That's awesome. Like right. it's just... <laughs> but uh but yeah, it's uh it's it's a great film, but it is. I liked it, like I said. Um I was yeah, I'm glad you suggested it. I'm happy I watched it. I'm glad I'm watching some more movies. A lot of these movies isn't because like, well, this one I hadn't heard of, mm-hmm. but like Jackie, it wasn't because I never wanted to see it. It's just, I never got around to see it. There's, yes, I keep saying like, I've seen a lot of horror movies in my day, but there are still thousands I have not seen because oh, yeah. the genre has been around for so long mm-hmm. and there's so many movies out there that I just haven't gotten around to see all of them. There's some that people are probably like, you haven't seen this. I'm like, no, I haven't gotten around to it yet. Yeah. And don't like, there's that. so many. Yeah, don't yeah. do that. Don't do that. People don't don't be that guy. It's it's really shitty to be like, how how can, how, how have you how have you not seen this movie? Just just stop that. Um, I only feel that way about reanimator. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, like, and that's what I mean is when we talked about a little bit last week about how like you hadn't seen Dracula. And I'm like, that doesn't surprise me. And nor it nor does it alarm me. Uh, you yeah. know, it, it's uh, I mean, I don't expect um, I mean, I, I I went out of my way. To watch a lot of these older movies when I got serious about studying film. That's when mm-hmm. I went back. And uh, so a lot of these movies I didn't see until the last, you know, eight or nine years. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the universal classics, I never got to those until my 30s. Um, and it was never, you know, again, it wasn't because I didn't want to, it's because it just, yeah. I had other stuff to do. That's um, kind of what it is. Yeah. I up? saw, so, yeah, I've seen a few, but so when younger, with my mom. when I see younger, or, uh, you know, when I see the gatekeeping online of, you know, uh, where younger horror fans like kind of being like, you know, uh, getting kind of dumped on for not knowing, you know, you know, who Barbara Crampton is. And I'm like, well, look, you know, I mean, like, they, they mean, there's nothing wrong with being current, um, yeah. you know, and you don't you don't get points for seeing all of them. You know, it doesn't make you a, it. it I mean, maybe it might make you a better person if you actually take these movies to heart. But uh, having seeing seeing four thousand, uh, I actually I have a list on on IMDb that I've kept uh, since my twenties of every horror film I've I can remember seeing. It's around two thousand films. Uh, I did not turn into uh, some sort of movie god. Um, right. uh, you know, I've just seen a lot of movies, and I remember half of them. Um, and uh, I've seen a lot of garbage and I've seen some wonderful films. Um, but I mean, at the same time, um, there are people that will that will tell me that I'm an amateur and I don't care. Well, uh, to me, that's not a real to me. That's not a real person of the horror community, because as we all know, in the horror community, we are accepting of everybody. We're supposed to be. Yeah, exactly. We're supposed to accept everyone for who they are. A lot of us growing up we're bullied we were the outcasts we yeah. were looked at as the weirdos because we liked the macabre and the horror movies yep. and a lot of us felt like an outsider most of our lives not all of us but a good chunk of us i know most people i've talked to felt the same way as i do a lot of us yeah. were bullied mm-hmm. you know for other reasons but also horror movies so as a community we should be and most of us are very accepting of one another yes. you can be from different backgrounds or anywhere and we all come together for the love of horror and that's what it should be the love of horror yes it shouldn't be i've watched this many horror movies compared to you watching this many yeah it should just be we all love horror movies cool now we're a community we are a family and that's how horror community and the horror fam 
along with the mutant fam, that's what we all are, mm-hmm. a family of people who love horror movies. Yep. So go horror movies. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm guessing we're over the hour. I didn't get to get onto what I did want to talk about, which was um, Roderick, the character Roderick. So mm. um, very quickly, what I was going to say was um, uh, the thing I noticed with him was that he's played by a, uh, he's a male character played by a female character with still a very feminine quality and feminine voice. So yeah. I was wondering if maybe they were trying to represent him as a transgender. And that's why, again, locking him away. Maybe. He's really mom who has, you know, who has come out with their true self as being really a man. So therefore the family says, no, we can't have this. We're putting, you know, dad away and upstairs. I think it was probably just a joke. Um, a joke? Oh, see, yeah. I just, I don't she know. Was, it was just funny was... about the whole, like, she was credited as john um in the thing and and actually if you look up her uh her actual filmography she's uh does a lot of bits in a lot of comedy films Um, okay i just yeah i thought it'd be kind of cool if that's what it was too it'd be kind of nice to see like yes not shying away from that topic either because it's not it's you know letting someone be who they are on the outside match their inside match the outside is very important too and yeah if you wanted to read it that way then that's that's great too yeah Yeah. i mean uh what what uh you know in in any in any basic uh critical theory class they tell you author intentions kind of bullshit anyway and you shouldn't do it so um it's what you take away from it that matters Right. Um, and so if you if you if you're seeing that character and saying, hey, that's trans representation, then all more power to you. Um, uh, I personally hope we see more trans representation. And, yeah, me too. But, we need to, a lot of that. accepting of all. Yes. Thank you. Yeah, I will always say that. Mm-hmm. Love people for who they are. I always tell my daughter, you be your unique self. Always yep. be mm-hmm. your own unique self. Whoever you are. I love you for exactly who you are. Mm-hmm. That's how we all need to be. I agree. And love yourself too. Mm-hmm. I have a hard time with that. I will admit that. I have a hard time loving myself, but I work so on I. it. I'm working on it. So do I. So, yeah. So, okay. So, kind of over the hour, but this is a good movie to talk about. Sure. So, this was fun. I hope everyone enjoyed it. Again, um, reach out to us, people, anyone listening for anything. Yes. I mean that. I really do. Um, so, we're going to wrap it up. Thank you, everyone, for joining us here today on Sinful Sarah's Horror Menagerie. Again, I am your host, Sarah Sin, with my partner in crime, Nathaniel. No beds. No beds, everyone. (laughs) No beds. (laughs) I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you for listening. And I just want to remind everyone out there that there's a horror movie out there for everyone to enjoy. So thank you. Thank you.